we come before you at this time as a, a body of worshipers who want to seek your truth, who have a desire to learn, a desire to follow closely in the footsteps of Yahshua the Messiah. We know in these days it's very difficult in this world we are in to follow you, but we know this is the only way that we can find the promise of salvation. So we pray that you'll bless this gathering, bless those around the world who are in tune this day. We pray that you'll continue to keep us safe and guide all of us each day in the truth of your word. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, this past week, we were blessed to welcome a man from southeast Missouri to come and start a new life in Yahshua through baptismal waters. So we want to welcome Rodney Bruce and pray that Yahweh's guidance and grace will be upon him all the days of his life. Also, we said shalom to Sister Nancy White, longtime sister, dedicated sister to the, to the word and to this assembly, mother of, of uh, well, there, he had, she had many children, but uh, uh, Mike Martin, and uh, so we're so glad that uh, she had the long life that she did. I want to mention Brother Mike Bannock, who uh, for months went to visit her, sacrificed of his time and his efforts so that she could be available to watch the services here each, each Sabbath day and uh, fulfill what uh, we find in Scripture as a servant's heart. And I want to uh, mention that, too, because he's probably looking for the next available servant service that he can provide for somebody in, uh, in Yahweh's uh, assembly. So, you know, we've all heard it. Some maverick will profess that he's not a fan of organized worship, probably because he had a bad experience once and threw in the towel, said, I'm done. No more organized worship for me. Think about it. Just because you can understand sin doesn't let it decide your spiritual life. How dedicated, how much faith do you really have? Too many get thin-skinned and are willing to call it quits over something that caused some hurt feelings or a perception that they were wrong. Maybe it was somebody in the group that uh, they didn't get along with. Maybe it's a doctrine they didn't agree with. It happens in every religious organization all the time. And that's why we have the first and second and third Baptist churches. Those who can't take it, move on, start something else. There is an increasingly debilitating disease in our world, eating away at resolve and tenacity. You see it more and more. It's the notion, it's the notion that if it doesn't perfectly suit me, I'll just leave. That affects marriages. It affects workplace. It affects assemblies. 
Welcome to the culture of quitters. That's what we have today. This begs the question, what makes a true assembly? What is an assembly? How do you build one? Is it just people with the same basic beliefs for now, getting along for fellowship for now? You know, in war, a soldier quickly learns that his fellow soldiers are a lot more than just buddies. They become his very survival as they watch out for each other, especially during conflict. Miners in a cave-in, thousands of feet underground, learn that they have to rely on each other to learn that the same authority structure they worked under must be enforced during this crisis. If the hierarchy broke down, they all become independents, they risk survival. Even in our world, we all need structure, organization, help from thousands of other people. Think about it. Just for our life's basic needs. We need other people to procure food that we put on the table for clothing, for transportation, for utilities, for financing, for health care. It's a fact of life. We need other people. Even the Amish go to grocery stores and they drive their buggies on paved roads, all put there by other people. The poet John Donne wrote, no man is an island unto himself. And how true that really is. Bonding, fellowship, and structure are also essential in the body of Messiah. Unity of faithful brethren, applying biblical standards, will inspire others. It'll perpetuate others to do the same thing. Even young people living Yahweh's word are a powerful inspiration to other young people to do the same thing. Years ago, a TV preacher had his ministry taken over for the second time by his uh, own employees in a YouTube video explaining the second coup. The man was incredulous that, to think that others that he had hired would turn against him, ultimately boot him out of his ministry all over again. At least that was his perception. Something was seriously off the beam there. A seasoned brother in the faith wrote a solution, which he shared. He said, about three years ago, I had the pleasure of enjoying a fellowship meal with this ousted preacher. I urged him to put himself under the authority of an up-and-running congregation. You know, something with a pastor and some oversight. He firmly replied that he would not let any man control his ministry. This brother went on to write... The principle of protection under the covering of a heavenly ordained authority is an ancient one. Tonight, the principle is upheld to the detriment of this confused soldier from Michigan. The brother continued, the principle of having pastoral oversight is a big one. Hebrew 13, 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch over your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you, end quote. I thought he nailed it pretty well. So now let's turn the camera around. Individuals seeking truth often have a difficult time knowing exactly what truth is and how do I get there? How do I learn? What is scriptural 
and what is not. We have this all the time. People come to us and say, I wasn't brought up with the Bible, but now I see how important it is, especially when I look at the world and what's happening. Can you show me? So without a safeguard of a healthy and solid assembly with good, knowledgeable leadership and brethren, many individuals simply go spinning out of control. They become like a ping pong ball, bounce from one group to another, not knowing what to do, seeking something they don't even understand because they won't submit. It becomes habitual. And they think maybe they're fulfilling some kind of calling when it's really just a waste of time. If a tree falls in the forest, like we had out here one day, did it make any sound if nobody was there? Let one erroneous teaching on a key doctrine grab their fancy with no one around to dispute it, to fact check it, they're soon in a tangled web, perhaps. None of us learned all we know on our own. Nobody has learned all they know about the Bible on their own. Somebody helped them. Somebody did. There was a, you should call him a mega televangelist back in the 70s out in California who said that Yahweh gave him all his knowledge directly from Yahweh. All his knowledge. Well, we saw, he wrote a book, Has Time Been Lost, showing how the Sabbath was put in force at creation, and the cycle of seven days is the same one we have today. Well, a brother found another book with the same title from a, might say, a sister organization that was established almost at the same time, put them side by side, opened them up, and same words in each one. Now, who got it from what? The original? I don't think that the, the one he showed would have tried to, to uh, use the words of the other one because they were big and powerful and not subject to uh, being sued. I think it's probably the other way around. He also said, I remember, that uh, his group was the only one, only group worldwide, hint, hint, that kept all the feast days. Now, he knew. He knew there were sacred name groups back in the 60s and even before who were keeping all the feasts. I was incredulous when I heard him say that. That just uh, kind of ruined any respect I had for him. So how do we know who's teaching the truth? Well, we have nothing to hide. In fact, uh, our doctrines are open to examination, every one of them. And we invite you to prove everything yourself, not just believe it because it's written down or spoken by the pulpit, from the pulpit. Our beliefs have been laboriously hammered out through many decades of intense study, comparing verse with verse, passage with passage. We've disproved conflicting arguments. We consult the source languages of the scriptures. We compare dozens of Bible versions and a boatload of scholarship. We base our teachings on the entire Bible, not just on the last one-third. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh and is profitable for what? Doctrine, 
teachings. That's all the doctrine means, it's teachings. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is all scripture. That the man of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This means we harmonize the Bible and it does fit together like a hand in the glove. Perfectly. Taking every related scripture into account. Now that doesn't mean that we won't change if we find something new. If we can prove it, sure, we're willing to look at it. And if we, ha- if we find it's true, we can uh, have the uh, ability and the, the desire to go through with it and uh, adopt it. Until some new viable information is presented through the proper channels and not through the back door, we have to stay true to our verified core beliefs. The key is to start with and build on the right foundation, the foundation of Yahshua and the apostles. And most important, we invoke Yahweh's guidance. If our motives for serving Yahweh are pure and simple and true, he will guide us in truth. A flourishing assembly requires cooperation. That's part and parcel of it. It's a team effort from Genesis to Revelation. The scriptures teach proper worship in an organized body with ordained leadership. There's no getting around it. It's legit if it follows that prescription. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of Elohim. Notice that, with the saints and with the household of Elohim. Key words. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yahshua himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom all the building fitly framed together. Getting the, getting the idea that it's a united effort of a lot of uh, brethren, Groweth unto a holy temple in the master, in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of Elohim through the Spirit. He says you are just like a building being gathered brick by brick, put together, and creating something great. Yahshua did not start with an assembly of one. Paul didn't travel around the known world to ordain one-man bands, or even four or five-man bands. It's estimated that Paul founded at least 20 assemblies, each with an ordained leadership, pastors, deacons, to guide a governing component that's scriptural. Why did he do that? Because again, that's what the Bible says to do. How does a one-man band fulfill those requirements? How do they do it? People are just up by themselves. How do they fill that requirement? And no matter how often you hear from people who buy into the no organized worship, worship philosophy, they still need an assembly to provide them with such things as confirming dates for the holy days. They'll call around and ask organized assembly, what are you, uh, when you're keeping the days? They rely on organized groups for feast observances, communicating with believers, helping the poor helping with difficult scriptures, financial aid, prayers for the sick. But boy, don't talk to me about an 
organized worship. You know, mavericks will gladly take advantage of the hard work and sacrifice of others who labor in an organized body. We have observed through the years that those who have little regard for the assembly and its leadership, besides lacking in love for those in the body of believers, usually create issues that got to be dealt with. Like the guy on his mother's computer comes up with a doctrine, and all of a sudden people ask us about it. What, what's that all about? How do, and we got to stop, waste time with this crazy notion that doesn't fit with scripture at all because, uh, just because someone decided he was going to create a teaching. 1 Corinthians 12.25, Paul said that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. See, the assembly is more than just a group of people studying scripture, trying to live by scripture. It's a group of people helping and worshiping and guiding other people because of their love for them. What about the person who comes in and insists on going around to others teaching a false doctrine? We've seen it. It happens in every group. If he had a love and respect for the body and its leadership, he'd never do that. He soon learns that if he persists, he's going to be shown the door, as he would be in any organization. I don't, I don't understand the mentality there. Sowing doctrine that's in discord in the body is one of those seven things Yahweh categorically hates. Proverbs 6.16. And if we allowed it, we'd soon face a fractured, fractured assembly on its way to disintegration. Well, sadly, some just don't get it or are so self-absorbed that they don't care. They completely lack a sensitivity and respect of others and Authority. They have no care or concern about any damage they could cause, as long as they can get in there, do their thing, and get out, I guess. They're only interested in number one. Nothing new. Paul wrote and warned in Acts 20 25, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves, notice that, grievous wolves, they really cause a problem. Enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This really upsets him. And he couldn't sleep. And for three years he worried about it. He had established all these assemblies and all of a sudden you got the... You know, somebody coming in there and throwing bombs. Here's a problem. An open association with no leadership, no guidance, no direction, and no one to apply the brakes is destined for a short-lived existence. How often have we witnessed such a group implode because no one was there to put up to stop the nonsense or to deal with a troublemaker? And that's why scriptures establish leadership. Many just want to worship their way. Little accountability, minimal responsibility, laid-back worship, little required of them, and minimal work, which all spells L-A-Z-Y. It takes work to build an assembly. It takes a lot of work and a lot of help from a lot of people who have the right heart. 
Obligations of a functioning dynamic assembly are, well, let's list a couple of them. Accountability and teachings. You don't teach something you can't prove. A standard of worship. Come together at certain times. Accountability for behavior. You do certain things and not do other things within the body. Opportunity to grow and expand spiritual fruits and gifts. Involvement with others, meaning bigger spiritual payoffs. And a satisfied and more rewarding social life as well. That's kind of the icing on the cake. For decades, there was an annual conference of sacred name groups. And we, were, we went to some of them. Uh, it appealed not just to sacred name groups and leaders, but to small home groups, people you never see, except it's something like this. You don't even know they're around. All of a sudden, they pop up. Assorted nonconformists who show up to toot their own horns because they found a captive audience they couldn't find any other way. And it got to be it got to be discouraging, I guess, to, to go there and see these people and not get with the program on what they was trying to do. It was trying to get cooperation with everybody. And they just threw in grenades. Just had the complete wrong attitude about it. And then it just caused things to uh, basically get nothing really done. One fellow who attended those meetings several times would come with boxes full of literature that he had printed up. Boxes of them. He'd put them all back there and start advertising his literature. To put it mildly, uh, I didn't see any salvational value in any of those things he was trying to push. Just a waste of time, in my estimation. He was the definition of a maverick, tooting his horn while spinning his wheels. Individuals are a group made up of nonconformists who are unwilling to work in an organized structure but still take advantage of it are destined to stagnate and basically fade away. That's not just a possibility. That's almost a certainty. It will happen. I've seen a half century of observing these folks and I testify that it's true. When imposters come in with their personal private agendas is when, the, is when the nuclear option has to be invoked. In Titus 3.10, Paul told Titus, his assistant and soon-to-be pastor of an assembly, he advised him, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Don't try to make it work with him. It's not going to work. He's resolute in what he believes. He can just go on and do his thing wherever, but don't let him tear your group apart. If you're a one-man band, you'll never play in the true body of Messiah. A true body of believers is of one mind, is of many members, harnessed together, individual gifts collectively working together, doing a meaningful, significant work. You can't accomplish much of it. Unless you have a team of horses harnessed, harnessed, Working in harmony, you're not going to get anything done. Corrupt, just put them all in a corral, and what's going to happen? Nothing. Just bouncing around, uh, getting nothing done. They have to have a unity of purpose, a focus, a guidance. 
harnessed to do something. Organized worship. From Israel down to Yahshua, Peter, and John. They attest to it. All of them knew and taught that Yahweh expects his people to be directly and personally involved in a union of fellowship of believers who worship and work together. That's the scriptural way. That is the only way. It's in the assembly that we plant, grow, and produce spiritual fruits from the gifts we're given. That's why Paul lists them. It's the core of 1 Corinthians 12. Before Paul lists the various gifts, he says in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, for everyone. That's why he gives it. Now, profit with all is a significant term. With all is 4851 in the Greek and comes from two words, soon denoting with or together and an ego, meaning bring forth fruit that expresses the mind of Yahweh. The gifts of the Spirit are intended to bring others to the truth together, to inspire them, to help them, help them to grow spiritually. And when we continue reading, Paul discusses the gifts in context with the body of Messiah, with its many members, all parts working in harmony. He talks about the body. You have fingers, you have an eyebrow, you have toes, you have arms. All these things work together in the body to make it work, to make it productive. When you bounce new or maybe old concepts for some off of others in the assembly, it will keep you in proper balance, heading straight and true. You have to have input. Have to have knowledge of other, others and their knowledge to help you understand, is this right or is this wrong? Am I on the right track or am I wrong? There's nothing like a stabilizing influence of the organized body to keep you on track and in tune with Yahweh's will. The impossible lunar Sabbath doctrine was popularized by a prisoner with too much time on his hands. And so no one there to bounce it off of. He develops this lunar Sabbath idea that the, that the, uh, the sun, or I should say the moon, really, uh, establishes the Sabbath day, kind of like it does with the feast days. Well, too bad. There's nothing in Scripture to support that. Nothing there doesn't work. It's untenable and completely absent from Scripture. So with no scriptural evidence or support, why do people pursue this thing? We've got a, a study against it online, if you want to read it. Correcting and encouraging one another is very important, and it's a virtue in the assembly. A body of believers is a much better position to aid one another in times of need as well as just one or two people. See, there's, there's advantages all over the place for the body of Messiah. We have that going on right now. People that need help are being given aid by the body of Messiah. Several years ago, a debt-challenged family was determined to come to the Feast of Tabernacles, even though they lacked the means. And I mean they lacked the means. They had acquired an old truck that needed major repairs. But they made up their minds they were coming to the feast. Someone in YRM 
anonymously responded with a generous financial help. We received this letter from the family. Thank you so much for forwarding the funds for the feast. We were praying last night that Yahweh would make some needed parts for the truck available to us. This morning we go to the mailbox and there is your letter. We are now that much closer to having our ride to the feast ready. My family and I wish to thank Yahweh and the brother or sister who donated the funds for our trek to the feast. As expected, the adversary is hot on our heels with obstacles from family. Our trust in Yahweh is unwavering. I will be sending our registration this week. Again, thank you and all those praying for us to thank to that brother or sister who extended a hand. One and two Corinthians nine to, uh, seven to nine read, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not of grief or of necessity, for Elohim loves a joyous giver, and Elohim is able to make all favor overflow toward you, that you always, having all you need and every need in every way, have plenty for every good work. Paul writes, as it has been written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. So, the brethren hear the call, the brethren respond. That's part of what we do in the body of Messiah. I have to ask the one-man bands out there, what talents is he using to help a body of Messiah? That's what they're for. What talents? Oh, he's out there by himself. He, <laughs> I don't know, he has nothing to do. When brethren sacrifice to help their brothers and sisters in the faith, they encounter the very love of Yahshua. This is what Yahshua said. He said, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Someplace fellowship at the end of the list of things important to Yahweh. They believe that worshiping by themselves is just as good as gathering with the body of Messiah. And it's not. It doesn't come close. And that's not what we're commanded to do. Sometimes that is all that's possible for those in remote areas or in adverse situations. Maybe they've got bad health. and Maybe they're aged. I mean, we understand that. But often those who can meet with brethren will stay unconnected anyway. Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. And that's their, to their detriment when Yahshua calls forth his people to give account of themselves. And what did they do or not do with the talents he entrusted with them? Where do they put them to good use? We had a supporter for many years who lived in a community, well, 50 miles from here. Never met the man. He never came to Sabbath services, even though invited to do so. And then he died. Where is he? What's his situation? How he could have benefited in so many ways if he got involved with an assembly. Assembling with the saints, learning what he... Boatloads more than what he had learned on his own. Obviously, he believed in our message and what we were doing. He just never saw a need to gather, as we're told in Hebrews 10.24. His understanding of the purpose of the body of Messiah was just plain lacking. 
He missed the other half of what it means to worship Yahweh. And let us consider one another to spur them on to love and good works. Why? How? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're talking, some of us, as a staff this week, we're talking about what's happening in our world. Hey, that day's approaching. <laughs> there's, no, there's no doubt about it. We're seeing a lot of things happening that uh, could really be a problem in the future. It's another key reason for the assembly, to get love and support when needed, to help further good works, both yours and theirs. How many consider the effect on other brethren when you neglect meeting with the body? You ever think of them? Not just yourself? It hurts. It hurts you and it hurts Yahshua, who said, well, you do to them what you do for the brethren, you do to me. Yahshua won't reward negligence. What we do is the measure of our heart, brethren. It's the measure of what is inside of us comes out in what we do, not just what we say. Then there's a man from northwest Wyoming who attended, I guess it was our second Feast of Tabernacles as an as a, uh, assembly. He was baptized there. He lived alone. He drove 24 hours to come down and join us. Months later, while he was on his snowmobile, he died in an avalanche. His sister wrote that afterwards she went up to his apartment and there was his Bible and Strong's Concordance still open, still open on a table from his last, truly his last study session. Tragic loss. But I think about him and at least Jack kept the command to observe tabernacles with us and be immersed. He did the right thing. Well, he had the ability and that will be to his credit in the resurrection. Once we're gone, our fate and the record of our life are sealed for eternity, and nothing will change it. Nothing. What does Yahweh have to say about all of this? He commanded a tabernacle and a temple be established as a meeting place where offerings to him could be given, prayers could be made, learning could be done. The people were to gather there to worship during the Sabbath and feast days. Read the complete command in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Worship was to be at the place Yahweh put his name. Not just anywhere. Where Yahweh places his name. Not all over the place. In private tents. He said, no, Israel, you come together at this spot. To emphasize that, we can read Deuteronomy 31.11. When all Israel is come to appear before Yahweh your Elohim in the place which he shall choose, notice not in the places he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their, in their hearing, gathering the people together, or gather the people together, men and women and children, and your stranger that is within your gates. So they were supposed to be there too. You have visitors? They were to go there too. That they may hear and that they may learn and fear Yahweh your Elohim and observe to do all the words of this law. And that their children, which have not known anything, 
may hear and learn to fear Yahweh your Elohim as long as you live in the land whither you go over Jordan to possess it. Even children who don't understand will be given understanding when they come together. They need that. We have to guide children into the word. That's a command. Raise up a child in the way he should go. They say if you don't have him by age 10, you're going to have a hard go of it. Unless Yahweh really works with them. They have to have it in their heart to worship Yahweh. They're going to fear Yahweh just by showing up. And it will sink into their consciences. We, we hear it all the time. We see it all the time where... Um, child maybe leaves assembly, but because it's instilled in their heart, they come back. They come back. It was commanded for ancient Israel to gather as an assembly in the weekly Sabbath, as well as come together for the seven annual Sabbaths. Now notice, in this regard, in this context of a unified body, notice some of the names given to the body of believers in Scripture. Assembly of the saints, Psalm 89.7. Assembly of the upright, Psalm 111.1. His body, Ephesians 1.22 and 23. Assembly of Elohim, Acts 20.28. Assembly of the living Elohim, 1 Timothy 3.15. Assembly of the firstborn, Hebrews 12.23. Congregation of saints, Psalm 149.1. House of Elohim, 1 Timothy 3.15. Household of Elohim, Ephesians 2.19. And the Israel of Yahweh, Galatians 6.16. All collective nouns, all our references, reflecting a united group of believers joined in unity, in worship, in purpose, working together. Notice as people are not called the maverick of saints, the loner of Elohim, the recluse of the upright. Paul, who himself established assemblies stretching thousands of miles from Jerusalem to Macedonia, all the way up to Rome, said that it was through fellowship that we are perfected. And he listed the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, that enable that, that Yahweh helps us with, so that we can grow in grace and knowledge. The apostle compares the assembly, that's Yahshua's body, to the human body, as I mentioned, showing that each part has a function, has a necessary function. He says even the, the lowly parts are meaningful and needed. You get a sore toe, what do you think about? I mean, a real sore toe. It's hard to walk, you know? What do you think about all day long? You think of that sore toe, just a toe. I mean, people have toes cut off and they can still walk. But it's that part that we considered least significant that becomes more significant when it's damaged, when it's injured. Same thing in the body of Messiah. Now you are the body of Messiah and members in particular, and Yahweh has set some in the assembly, first apostles, secondly, prophets, thirdly, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, Diverse kinds of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 28. The Old and New Covenants are filled with both the commands for and practices of organized worship. 
from Israel down to Yahshua, Paul and John, all of them knew and taught that Yahweh expects his people to be directly involved and personally at work in an organization of believers who worship and work together. Now we understand that there are many isolated individuals who, no fault of their own, are unable to gather regularly. We understand that. I remember one lady, she was in her 80s, says, how old do you have to be when you don't have to go go to worship at the Feast of Tabernacles? I said, there's no statute of limitations in the scriptures on age that I know of. You keep going until you can't go anymore, physically or whatever, or you can't get someone to help you, or you can't pay a fare to get there. You do whatever you can, but there's no maximum age that says, okay, you're done. We had people that are way into their 80s, even 90s, who go to the feasts or attend the feasts. We understand that. We understand that there's issues with with help and disability, but if you can, those should be the only excuse other than simply physically unable to, to do it. And that's why it's crucial for spiritual health and growth for all to commune at least at the feast. We have people tell me, I have, you know, it's been six months. It's usually six months duration from one major feast to the next. Tabernacles to unleavened bread and Passover. And they say, I really need this feast when they get here. I really need it. I need to recharge. I need to get closer to Yahweh with the feast days and with the commune of brethren who help me, who can understand my lot, who can give me advice. I need that. I don't get that at home because there aren't any believers around where I live. I need that. That's how important it can be. It's crucial for spiritual health and growth for all to commune at the feast days and the Sabbath as well. Those who lack regular fellowship lack those helps that the feast can bring, that the Sabbath can bring. The knowledge and examples of seasoned brethren to help sustain them throughout the year, they need that. I remember my first Feast of Tabernacles. Um, There was a man there who was a real health, health nut. I wasn't used to this coming out of Lutheran Church. We didn't have health nuts, but... He, uh, he, he extolled the, the virtues of, of uh, carrot juice. He drank so much carrot juice that his skin was all, all uh, orange, really orange. But one day he came with uh, goat's milk, and he says, who wants some goat's milk? And this Willie there says, uh, I don't think so. Goat's milk? Willie, it's in the Bible. Give me some. It's all he needed. If the Bible says it, he was going to do it. And he learned he kind of liked it. I can like it if it's cold, but if it's warm, that's a different story. You kind of hold your nose and drink it. But you know it's good for you, good for your stomach. But anyway, avoiding the body of Messiah to which we are called is not pleasing to Yahweh. It violates the whole spirit of Yahshua's statement that what you do to the brethren, you do to me. Remember, it can be an affront to brethren. If we're absent, we're called to love the assembly as we do him. Forsaking the assembly is 
really um, retreating from, from Yahshua. Why do you suppose the apostle cautioned about not de- deserting the body of Messiah? Encouraging one another is very critical. That's how you show love to brethren. Someone comes to you with a problem. Maybe, uh, maybe they faced issues in their past life. They need to talk about it. And maybe you've had the same issue. And you can say, hey, you know what? I know what I did. This might help you. You, don't, um, you can't imagine how much help that is to people when they can try something that works, when they can go to Yahweh with it and say, you know, you just have to pray and fast. That's what I did, and it helped me. Whatever it might be, that's what we do for the body of Messiah. That's love of brethren. Encouraging one another is a very important activity in the assembly of believers. Just being there is inspiration and reassurance. When brethren sacrifice to help their brothers and sisters in the faith, they're touching the very heart of Yahshua, the Messiah. Matthew 12, 50. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. He links them together. We need to grasp the meaning of Yasha's parables about talents and fruits, why they were given, how they were used, and the purpose. Paul explains how spiritual gifts are for the express purpose of edifying the body. I know we have, there's organizations out there, uh, Pentecostal types, who think that speaking in tongues is everything. If you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And um, so you got to do it. Well, they don't understand what was going on there in, in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, but uh, it also reminds me, I've told this story before, where a minister was in one of those groups. Uh, he didn't uh, ascribe to the, their beliefs about him. And uh, they started their babbling thing. And, and he, uh, he quoted Genesis 1-1 in the Hebrew. And some guy... Stood up. You know, we have a, anybody have a have a, a what do you call it? A, can explain it? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anybody have a? Anyway, he says, uh, "Oh, I, I know what it is." And he starts. It means we all need to love one another, and we all need to serve Yahweh and, and be better people of, of Yahweh. And and he found out he was quoting Genesis one in Hebrew. Kind of deflated the, the whole the whole meeting. Uh, I thought it was a very effective way to show the truth. So anyway, um, we need to grasp that uh, disorganized worship is not the way to go. It's not what the Bible teaches. Um, disorganized worship it will drift from Yahweh, uh, drift us from Yahweh and pander to a human influence. Most dangerous is the tendency to propagate false doctrine. So we have to have solid doctrine in which we base our faith. Yahweh's desire for the assembly. Assembly is a scriptural system of worship. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For Elohim is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all assemblies of the saints. So I hope this message kind of helps solidify our own Uh, 
situation in the body of Messiah, realizing that we're in it not just for us, but for all the brethren. We're in it because we love Yahweh. And we're in it because Yahshua said, this is the way of worship. And he loves his people. We need to keep in tune with that too as well. So Yahweh and his assembly must be the focus of our worship. Hallelujah.